Hello, everybody. Welcome back. <clears throat> this week is Parashas Tazria and Mitzvah together, and it's Rishchidosh as well. Just became Rishchidosh now. Rishchidosh is Friday and Shabbos, which would be a uh, quite a long laning. Would we go to shul? Would we be able to be in shul? So Tazria Mitzvah and and and, and Rishchidosh. So we're being that uh, the parasha is Mitzvah, which we know. Uh, Tsaras comes as a result of speaking Lashon Hara, among other things. So I thought we should talk about the halachas of Lashon Hara, and in particular because so many Gedalim have suggested that people should strengthen themselves, particularly in the area of halachas Lashon Hara. Of many kinds, when I learn through the halachas of Lashon Hara, and I, we, we learn together, I find that it's easier to get a grip on the extent of Hilchas Lashon Hara when you actually begin from what you are allowed to say, the seven conditions that allow Lashon Hara to be said, when you're saying it for a good purpose, for a justified purpose. There are seven conditions, and those seven conditions actually shed a lot of light about how the Halachas of Lashon Hara work, both when it's Mutter and it's Asr. So let's begin with that. There are situations where we're required to notify other people of something a person has done, right? or something about that person's character. We might be obligated because of the mitzvah, don't stand by while your friend is getting hurt, or may get hurt, or may lose money, or may suffer damages. At times, it's necessary to warn them. You know, if someone asks about a mechanic or a plumber, and you know the person is dishonest, or, or he doesn't do good work, or he doesn't keep his promises, etc., you have an obligation to let that person know. Sometimes you want to warn, warn, uh, warn people of incompetence, like a, a doctor who you know, as we'll see later, you have to be certain has misdiagnosed or prescribed incorrectly, perhaps it was proven in court. Imagine if he's someone who's been sued for malpractice many times, or even something much more simpler and, and less uh, life-threatening as someone that's a shetelmacher, that, that you know, your experience with her has been highly unpleasant and her work hasn't been good you're obligated to let people know if someone's going to go and they're going to spend money and they're going to invest in her and her work isn't up to par, isn't considered passable by industry standards, that's something you'd be obligated to let know. Or a teacher who you feel doesn't understand students or is too harsh, and again, you have information that's very clear and data that's very verifiable, or a babysitter that's incompetent, etc. There are so many other possibilities, so many situations where it's necessary to warn a person off because of just simply to protect other people, which is an obligation we have. Sometimes it's necessary to mention when you need, when you have a question, you have a local question yourself and you're trying to understand what to do, and it may be necessary, again, to mention the person involved in in order to get clarity with the rub or whoever it is that is giving you advice. Sometimes it can be necessary to make people aware of a great problem. If you're going, they want to go into a partnership with someone else in business or if they want to do a shidduch and you have knowledge of medical problems, emotional issues, difficult meters, and so on, we don't have a choice at that point to just say, okay, forget about it. You know, I, I don't want to get involved. It's actually an obligation. We have an obligation to let people know. We have an obligation to protect them. Think that we should think of ourselves if we were in that person's position, how much we would wish that someone would let us in on the information we so desperately need to know. So there are 
situations where we have no choice but to say Lashon Hara, yet there are conditions that absolutely have to be met. The Chavetz Chaim lays out seven conditions that have to be met in order to be able to say this Lashon Hara, which we're obligated to say. Now, most of them are really self-explanatory, so even though seven sounds like a lot, they, they're really easy to remember because they make sense. They're, and like I said, they'll help you understand what the Isra of Lashon Hara is. So number one, the speaker must have witnessed the incident himself or herself rather than knowing about it secondhand and certainly not if it's only a rumor. So again, his point is is that you, you have to have information that you know 100% is true, not that you know you heard about it from someone else and that's, that's a, by definition already questionable. Uh, certainly is, uh, is like that. If you've only heard about the incident and you know it's important for the other person to find out, so you have to verify it and you have to get that information from the first person who saw it. It's amazing how relevant this condition is. You know, it's so often that the story in reality is radically different from the way it's told over, and it can be just because of one missing detail. It's context, you know. Uh, someone reports on a teacher that screams at a certain child and always picks on that, that particular child, and then there's a context that you're missing is that that child was endangering another child on a regular basis, right? So that's, that's a very important piece of context. So yes, of course she has to scream at that child. She doesn't have a choice. She has to protect the other children. So context, one detail, background information, makes so much of a difference in so many ways. And the, the nature of us as human beings is that our perception and our per- opinion invariable, invariably become part of the actual story itself. We, we can't really separate it as much as we think we're being objective. So that's so, so important to know that the information we have is facts, factual. Either we see it ourselves or we've done the kind of research that we're comfortable that this are, these are the facts. And they're not just hearsay or, you know, rumors. That's number one. So you have to have clear information. Number two, even information when we have data, it needs to be thought through. You have to reflect about it and, and don't, conclude hastily, you know, jump to conclusions what exactly happened. There are so many ways to be down the kavzchos, and even when something perhaps is wrong, but when we understand why the person did it, what the justification was, what their mistake was, it changes the whole nature of the thing, and <laughs> excuse me, you know, and, and that changes the way people will look at it, and how it affects other people. And often, we have our own conclusions what the halacha is, especially when it comes to Chayshemishpa, when it comes to monetary questions. We have, you know, some natural opinion about what's fair and what's honest, and that isn't necessarily the way that halacha looks at it. Now, halacha might hold that that's Lofnim Adin, and that's the right thing to do, it's the moral thing to do, but it's very far from saying that that other person is dishonest if, according to halacha, that person is by his rights. And we... The more and more you understand about Chesh Mishpat, the more you realize that it's not simple. And it's not just how we feel that, that decides what the halacha is when it comes to monetary issues any more than any other part of the Torah, right? We, it's not how we feel that decides what our matzah needs to look like and how your yotzei mitzah. It's what it says in the book, right? So Chesh Mishpat isn't any different. So number two is that 
it's important even after you have the facts to keep think about them and see if perhaps you're missing something, perhaps there's information you need to know, or perhaps you're understanding them incorrectly. Number three, also a very, very, very important thing, that if it's relevant, and it's not always relevant, but very often it is relevant, that the first thing you should do is approach the person in question, the person that there is this damaging information about, and a person-to-person privately, and either question the person about it and try to understand what they did or why they did it, or if you're in a position to do so, rebuke the person in a way that they would listen in gentle language and see if perhaps the person will regret what they did and, and they'll change their ways. You never know. You know, maybe they didn't realize the impact that their actions had or the way it was viewed by other people. You know, sometimes people talk in a certain way and they think they're saying one thing and other people hear something else. And when you talk to the person, they might have sincere regret for the way they spoke. So the first thing, if possible, it's not always possible, it's not always relevant, but if you can, it's an obligation to approach the person and see if you can understand better what happened or perhaps see if the person regrets what they did. Number three. Okay, that's number three. Number four. Once you get past all this, you verify the story is true, you've thought it through, you've approached the person, and now you know you have information over here that is correct. When you tell it over, it needs to be told over as it happened. It can't be exaggerated. It can't be dramatized. Even though you're trying to make the point and you're trying to get people to understand how serious it is, it's, that would be Lashon Hara. To dramatize it or to exaggerate it in any way, add any details, change any details. It has to be said as it happened. That's condition number four. Condition number five, you can only say Lashon Hara Lateralis if you have pure intentions, which means you have to do it l'shem shemaim. You can't do it because you enjoy embarrassing the other person. You can't do it because you have a grudge against the other person. And what's considered proper intentions to help the other side? And obviously, this is only relevant if you're talking to an audience who you can help. You want to prevent other people from getting harmed. You want the person who did the Avera to repent when he hears that other people don't approve of this behavior. So there can be many of pure intentions, but if it's personal, if the reason why you're doing it is really personal, you're doing it to hurt the other person and you're doing it to embarrass them, you have a grudge, you're looking to get to that person, then it's prohibited. And this is interesting, and you know what, we're already past the time for the halacha, so we'll continue this topic next week. We've gone through five of the conditions of Tayelas, and I want to expand a little bit more about this concept of having pure intention. So we'll review next week and continue this topic next week, Bez Hashem. So let's talk about this this week's parasha, which we said is Tazria, Mitzayra, and Rishchidish, with three parashas, and it's Rishchidish as well. And we learn all the psukim that talk about the Musaf of Rishchidish. And I want to talk about the connection between these three parashas, Tazria, Mitzayra, and Rishchidish, and it'll help us understand the concept of Rishchidish, and it'll give us a different perspective, I think, on our life as it is right now. Parsha Tazria begins with birth, the birth of a boy and the birth of a girl, and it goes into the halachas that apply, it mentions Rishmila, and then it mentions what's necessary in time of the Beis HaMikdash for a woman to become Tahar and to be able to bring her carbon that came along with the birth. It then segues into the halachas of tzaras, how a person becomes a metzairah, a leper, and what is required for that person to be considered healed from tzaras. And that basically takes us through the end of Pasha's Tazria. 
Parshas Mitzayra begins with the Tahara process. What a Mitzayra needs to do after he's been healed from his Tzaras, not, he's not finished yet, then he has to undergo a process to make himself Tahar. There's certain carbonates he has to bring, and he has to go, undergo a physical process. He has to shave his whole body, every single hair on his body, in order to become Tahar. And that's the process of a Mitzayra becoming Tahar to be allowed to come back into the community, to live within the walls of a city like Yerushalayim. So in essence, Parshas Tazriah begins with birth. And Saras is a form of death. Someone who's Mitzayra, someone who has gotten that condition and is sent away from the community to live alone, he's considered dead. Mitzayra Choshev Kameis. Parshas Mitzayra is then also about birth. It's about rebirth. It's about the rebirth of a Mitzayra who had been dead till now and he's now been given a second chance to come join the living once again. So Parshas Mitzayra is about rebirth. Parshas Tazriah begins with the birth that everybody experiences, the first birth when we get life to begin with. And Parshas Mitzayra is about when someone gets his life back, second chance at, la- at, at life, rebirth. And Rish Chaydish is rebirth as well. By Kiddush Levana, which we make right after Rish Chaydish, and the bracha we make, on the, the moon, we say, Hashem commanded the moon to renew itself. Every month it diminishes and diminishes and then it becomes, starts once again and gets, starts very small and it gets larger and larger. Hashem told the moon it has to renew itself. And this demonstration of renewal, it's a crown of splendor. It's something that we can be proud of. Who were carried by Kaddish Baruch Hu from our birth as a nation, from its shrine. It's a beautiful thing for us. Why? Because Klal Yisrael will do the same thing. We will also renew ourselves when Mashiach comes. And when that happens, we will praise our Creator because of His wondrous kingdom, the honor to give honor to His Malchus. So the, the moon, which is what Rosh Chodesh is all about, its renewal signifies our renewal. It refer, signifies our, our rebirth as a nation. And at that point, we're going to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Al-Shem Kuwait Malchusah, to honor his Malchus. Now, the truth is, this is a reference to something which we mentioned in the Haggadah just recently, in the Bracha of Asher Galano, which is right before we drink the second place, after Magid, we're about to eat matzah, we daven to Hashem to give us the opportunity once again to bring karbonis, karbon pesach, chagiga, and eat them in Yerushalayim with intense, intense simcha. And then we say, this is the end of the bracha, when that happens, we will praise you with shir chadash, with a new praise, a new song, because you have redeemed us and you have freed our souls. So you see, it's a form of rebirth and it will then give us the ability to say a shir chadash, a new praise. So we see the connection between these parashiyas and Rish Chaydish. Birth, rebirth on a personal level for a Mitzayra, and rebirth on a national level for all of Kla Yisrael. Now let's try to understand this concept a little and see how relevant it is for us. And in order to understand this, we're going to go in depth into a brach of Shemana Esrei. Not going to be able to do too much of it, but a little bit of it. The bracha, which you... Mine, I think, has so much to do with this, is the second bracha of Shemana Esrei, Ata Gibar. You, Hashem, are powerful. Mechayim Eisem You revive the dead. Rav Lahoshia, You help us exceedingly. 
Now, if you look at that bracha, it's a very interesting bracha. It seems, Chazal call it the bracha of Chiyas HaMesim, the Gevura, Kaddish Baruch has tremendous strength that he can bring the dead back to life. But the rest of the bracha, it alternates between the chesed Hashem does to the living. We mentioned Mechal Kochayim B'chesed. He provides uh, all that living people need. He heals sick people. He lets people free. And then it also talks about in between how Hashem will revive the dead. He brings them back to life. He keeps his promise to those who are sleeping in the, the earth. He's a king who... Give, brings the dead back to life. So it's hard to understand the flow of the bracha. If we're praising Hashem for the amazing gevura, He will demonstrate by reviving the dead, so we should stick to the point. The bracha is demonstrating the gevura of Hashem, yet focuses a lot on his chesed and rachamim, which are different midas than gevura. And in addition, how are we supposed to relate to the concept of tchiyas amesim? This is a hard bracha to relate to. I mean, we all believe in it. We believe in tchiyas amesim. We're maminim, we're but it's something we never witnessed. So how do we relate to it? How do we make it something that's real to us? When I was in yeshiva, I believe it was on one tiny tzibur, and I was, the last year I was in Riverdale, the Rosh Hashiva Rav Azban called us, the, the, called us in, the older Bachram into his office, and chose to teach us some Pirish And in particular, he learned through the explanation of the Grah, so the first three brachas of Shemana Ashray, and it can be found in Siddur HaGra, but strangely, it's only by the Tefillah of Shalash HaGolem in the back of the Siddur. Now, I'm forever grateful for this. I'm forever grateful for many things that he's done for me and taught me, but in particular because it totally changed how I davened those first three brachas. I've mentioned bits and pieces of it in the past, but let's get a little idea of how the Gra looks at the bracha of Atagibar, the second bracha of Shemana Ashray. Now, he addresses all these questions that we, and issues we brought up, but as is his practice, he doesn't actually ask the questions. He just explains it and, and thereby answers these questions. So the Gross says that in truth, we do witness on a regular basis. How? So there's a literal Tchiyasam which the Bracha definitely refers to, the one that's going to happen when Mashiach comes. But there's also a figurative Tchiyasam which the Bracha is referring to. And those are the people who Chazal qualify as Choshev Kameis, they consider dead. Among them, of course, are Mitzayra. And as we mentioned before, he's considered like he's dead. And someone who is poor, destitute, so poor that he can't help himself, Ani Choshev Kameis. The Gro explains the Bracha, that when we begin, Ato Gibor Lo'olam Hashem, you are the most powerful forever, it doesn't mean forever. It means that Hashem demonstrates the ultimate gvura, the strength to overcome anything when He does His will, His atzas Hashem, what He wants to happen. Because He raises people to great heights and He can bless them. But if the person becomes haughty and a balgaiva, Hashem diminishes him until the ground so that he does tshuva and then may raise him up once again. Hashem can elevate him once again. And this is gvura la'olam, the gvura of how Hashem runs the world. Nothing stands in the way of Hashem's will. The seeming indestructible, wealthy, and powerful people can be reduced to paupers. And the poorest, hopeless people can become elevated, to become rich, influential, successful people, exactly as Hashem decrees. I just saw that there was, is, was a Portuguese billionaire, Antonio Piera. He's the president of the Santander Bank in Portugal, and he just died due to corona, unfortunately. And his daughter wrote on social media that we are a wealthy family, 
but my father passed away alone, suffocating, looking for something free, which is air, and money stayed in the house. Powerful, very powerful, and that's exactly a Tas Hashem. He can raise a person up, but he wants to push him down. Nothing stands in the way. Mechayim Mesim Atta, the Grog explains. When we say those words, Mechayim Mesim Atta, you bring dead people to life. It sounds like Hashem does it all the time. So he says he does. It's not referring to literal dead. It's referring to a poor person. Only Chashav Kameis, a poor person who has to receive from others. He can't provide from, for himself. He has no way out of his situation. It's like a dead person who's helpless. When someone is a Baal Gaiva, they're Hori, and they're too convinced of their own invincibility, they think they accomplish everything through their own efforts and own ability. Hashem sometimes decrees poverty upon that person. And that helps the person become humble. And once the person does get humbled, and he does tshuva, then Hashem will restore his wealth to him. And that's Mechaia Mason. That's what we're talking about. He's Mechaia, the person that he decreed to be at Mace. HaKadosh Baruch brings him back to life. Hashem revived a seemingly lost case, a hopeless person, someone who is as good as dead, and miraculously he comes back to life. Rav Lahashia, he helps tremendously because when Hashem does restore the person to his former glory, uh, former glory, excuse me, it tends to be even greater than before, the Gra says, because originally Hashem had intended for this person to enjoy his wealth, wealth for his whole life. But due to his gaiva, his haughtiness, Hashem was forced to reduce him to a pauper. But once he repents, Hashem will restore his wealth doubly so that he makes up for lost time. That's Rav Lahashia. He helps in a tremendous way, much more than before. Now we say this in one of them is Mayrim in Shabbos Davening and Tzil and it's so important to always remember this. It helps so much when suffering. Samchenu kimois inisanu. Hashem will make us happy. Please make us happy equal to the days that we suffer. Hashem will give us reason to rejoice in equal amounts to the amounts that we have suffered. Hashem always wants us to be happy. Hashem wants us to rejoice. But unfortunately, at times, our growth requires that we suffer so that we grow. We endure pain so we can achieve greatness. But Hashem wants to give us the happiness. Hashem has tremendous goodness intended for us. And when we do reach that level that we are supposed to, when we grow to the point where we are supposed to reach, Hashem will make up for all the days of suffering with happiness and goodness that we will get then. The Gura continues to explain each statement of the bracha, and it's amazing how it pertains to all the forms of virtual death that Chazal talk about and how Hashem saves and revives those people. And we witness a form of Tchiz HaMesim through them. We don't have time to go through all of them. But this is a very powerful thing to think about. If we ourselves have been in a position that we needed money or a job, or we needed something else desperately, or a fool for ourselves or for someone we love, we can feel that sentiment of, we have no way to get ourselves out of the situation. We have no one else to turn to. And we can't even imagine how the situation could possibly change. How could it get better? But I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from people, particularly regarding finances, and how many times I've personally witnessed that they experience in a moment an extreme turnaround. They couldn't even imagine how they'll ever get out of this debt or ever, the situation will become better financially. And then in, in, in the space of a week, Hashem helps them in a way that they couldn't have dreamed. And it's literally like Tchiyas HaMesa. The Gros says at the end of the bracha, the Neman Ata Lachachiyas Mesim, the final words of the bracha, you are trusted to bring the dead back to life, that refers to a Mitzayra. That refers to someone that has Taras. 
Why? Because Chazal explained very clearly why a person becomes a Mitzayra. We know most famously it's Lashon Hara, but there are really seven possible reasons that can cause a person to become a Mitzayra, and they're mostly, they're mostly Midas issues. One of them is also haughtiness, Gaiva, other such sins. And Hashem guarantees and can be trusted that just as the Mitzayra was punished because of his error so that he can grow and become better, if he changes his ways, he will be brought back to life. You can be trusted you will bring the dead back to life. Now with this new depth in the Brach of Atagibar and the concept of Tchiyas HaMesim, let's look at the Parshias and our situation. Hashem grants a person life, birth, endless potential when they're born. And the trouble is we sometimes get confused and we forget where it's all coming from and how grateful we have to be simply to be alive, have the opportunity to serve Hashem, to enjoy life, food, fresh air, family, and all that life offers. When Hashem takes away some of those privileges and reduces a person all the way to the point where he's considered like dead, a person begins to realize what he had and how little control he has over his own life. What he thought was his was really a gift granted to him by Hashem and can be removed by Hashem at his will. If a person takes this to heart and humbles himself, then he's become infinitely greater. He's grown a tremendous amount. He's a new person. And Hashem will restore all the goodness upon him, perhaps in double. And he'll experience a virtual Tchiyas HaMesim. Imagine Tchiyas HaMesim itself. It's a second chance at life. Someone who's dead comes back to life and getting, once again, do all the things he knows that he missed out on doing. And perhaps rectifying things he did wrong. Or simply learning how to appreciate and enjoy all the wonderful things and important things in life. What an opportunity. The Mitzvah, when he's revived and given a new lease on life, he appreciates life and he appreciates all the gifts of Hashem and praises and thanks Hashem in a whole new way. And this is what Kali Yisrael will do when we are all revived and brought back to life, taken out of this gallows and Mashiach comes. The song of praise that we sing to that at that point, it'll be a sheer chadash, unlike anything we've sung in the past because we've been given a new lease on life. And that enabled us to really appreciate what it means to live, what it means to be redeemed. Padus Nafshenu will have new souls and we'll be able to sing a praise of true honor to Hashem's glory. I think our current situation really helps us relate to this concept in a way we've never been able to relate to before. So much of what we had, so much of what we enjoyed, we can't. So many people got sick lost their lives, but so many people got sick and got better, and then I can speak for myself, you start to realize about things you had that you didn't know how much you need to appreciate them, how much you need to value them, and thank Hashem for them. So maybe this small little, this, this little aspect of birth and rebirth that perhaps we're going through will help us humble ourselves, and reach the level where we can be reborn when Mashiach comes and say, Have a good night and a wonderful Shabbos.